0: The
1: The following broadcast does not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of this station.
2: Hello, 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 hello everyone. Welcome to The Window. This is Dr. I and my esteemed co-host, Dr. Joanna is on the line, and we are very, very delighted that you have decided to join us today. I believe that the first week of December is officially the beginning of Christmas season, and I hope that I can find my Christmas decorations from last year. Dr. Joanne, are you there? I am. Well, welcome. And how are you feeling, my sister?
3: I'm good. It's a beautiful December Saturday, the start of Advent season. That's a reason to be joyful.
2: It is a reason to be joyful. I love it when December mornings start off with sun. The sun reminds me that there are some things that we just don't have control over.
3: Yes, and and hopefully in the midst of everything else that's going on, the sun can remind us of the radiance of what this holiday season is really about. Absolutely. We get caught up in so many other things. And we say this every year as a reminder. Maybe this year, I know there are supply shortages that are impacting our ability to get gifts. So maybe this is a good year to just give the gift of love.
2: And we should be given that every day. You have a choice every single day to to, to choose good or to choose bad. And hopefully this year with all of the, the tragedies that we have seen in 2021, and the arguments and the conflicts and the uh, outright hatred, as I've said on social media, Dr. Joe, I hate the hate that I see right now. I hate
3: it. Yes. Yes, that's a profound statement.
2: Yeah, and it's true. I mean, I don't say H-A-T-E often, but that's what I see out here in the uh, in the world right now. And we're fortunate today because we have two black women who are spreading love and comfort and service in our communities. And Dr. Joe, I think I will... Uh, turn the, the,
3: the
2: conversation over to you so we can get started on the window
3: good well of course we just finished Thanksgiving weekend and I know that everyone can think of something to be thankful for and so hopefully we all remember to do that in spite of the the food and the and the football victories or losses and the inevitable family conflict But speaking of family, we're going into a season where we talk a lot about family. And so our first guest has quite a bit to say about families in the context of what it is she does for our Central Ohio community. There are YWCA's all across the country, about 200 of them, if I recall correctly. And here in Central Ohio, the YWCA Columbus is headed by Christy Angel who's president and CEO. So, Christy, thank you for joining us today on The Window. Um,
2: I don't think she's on yet, is she? I just talked to um, our esteemed sound engineer, and I don't think she's called in yet.
3: Okay, so let me go ahead and talk a little bit about the YWCA. Okay. So the YWCA is... Sometimes confused with the YMCA. They are two very similar organizations, and they're part of organizations around the country that do so much good. During this time in particular, we have people who want to donate and to do things for charitable organizations, and certainly this is a good time to do that. But there are needs for our charitable organizations year-round. In fact, we just completed, in our hometown, what's called Giving Tuesday, which was an invitation for everyone to give to whatever organization they believe best suits their purposes. And so we're going to ask you to just. Hello.
2: Hello. Is this Christy? yes it is hi this is iris how are you my dear good iris how are you i am so delighted to have you on the line we're having some challenges this morning just kind of regrouping from the week but um dr joe joanna will be on in just a second um and she was just describing the the purpose of the ywca and i think that's a great way to talk about um or to open the discussion um Can you share your role and the mission of the YWCA with us?
0: Yes. uh, I am president and CEO of YWCA Columbus, and our mission is to eliminate racism, empower women, promoting peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all.
2: That's a big, big mission,
0: Sister (laughs) Christy. It is a big mission.
2: Um, let Let me just tell you my connection to the YWCA. I think I can claim this.
0: Yes. My
2: mother in Evansville, Indiana, was the first black board member <gasps> of the YWCA.
0: Are you serious?
2: No, I'm very serious. And oh, I love it. And I took ballet lessons and tap lessons at the YWCA as a little fat black girl back <laughs> in the day. and I was accepted. And I went there every Saturday, and I was in the recitals, and my mother had relationships that lasted until she died Mm -hmm. from the YWCA. Mm -hmm. And um, as a part of that legacy, of course, I was a board member for the Y for, I don't know, maybe... 15 years or something mm-hmm. like something like that as mm-hmm. well as a, a woman of achievement and so uh, I got I got some blood in the YWCA yes, and you do. and I'm yes, proud of it and uh with that I'm gonna shut my mouth and let dr Joe take over
0: okay great to talk with Christine Christine. you Iris. yes
3: again thank you for joining us Christy and I also have some blood in the YWCA so why don't you start with telling our listeners, about what the YWCA does year-round, and then we're going to focus in more specifically on this holiday season.
0: Sure, sure. Um, well, before I even focus on uh, what we do, um, you know, every day, uh, year-round, year um, I want to just thank you, Dr. Joe and Iris, for having me on today. But also I want to, you know, I mentioned the, the mission of YWCA you know, the, the movement, which we call, you know, you know, uh, we call it the movement. Um, and, you know, with our history goes back to the 1800s and really um, across the, the pond, so to speak. You know, I think in London was where the first YWCA was formed. But in the 1850s is when we came, you know, to, to on the east coast of the United States. Um, you know, we were founded as a place uh, of of uh, comfort and housing for women who uh, found themselves, you know, without family or without um, a place to live while they were looking for work. Um, and, and then we became kind of, a, you know, a place where refugees, uh, pleading circumstances, immigrants coming to this community it was always a welcoming place for uh, immigrant women in particular and and you know, kind of the rest can, becomes our history. But the elimination of racism, part of our mission, really came into being because Dr. Dorothy Height, one of the women in the civil rights movement, powerful women in the civil rights movement, um, said in I believe it was in 1974 at one of our conferences that we cannot fully empower women until all women can be empowered, and that means that we deal with. Um, you know, racism uh, and women who were facing oppression. And of course, we weren't using words like intersectionality and all of those terms that we have today. But, you know, she had the foresight to kind of to stop, really, and say, you know, we have to also include this elimination of racism uh, if we're fully going to empower women. And then, you know, there have been various iterations of that through the years, but, our YWCA now, um, in the last three years in particular, we have been focused on, um, you know, racial justice, advocacy, leadership, um, and leadership programs for uh, young women uh, in, you know, kind of, I would say, early career. I don't think there really isn't, you know, an age uh, range, but typically that program, which is called uh, Leadership for Social Change is, is for, for women, you know, they're anywhere from, you know, from 22 to probably 35 is probably where they kind of you know top out. And those are women who are looking to certainly excel professionally, but it's more about leading in their community and engaging in their community. And then we have a program called Bright Futures for uh, middle school girls, and we do that in conjunction with partners like the Boys and Girls Club reeb avenue center recreation and parks we deliver that in community and then you know our our racial equity and social justice work uh, really has changed through the years right now Um, we are really pleased to be offering uh, training in the community um, everything from building an inclusive workplace to racial equity 101 foundations and applications uh, harm repair uh, reduction and restoration Um, And then programs that are training uh, workshops and programs that are tailored specifically to the client's needs. So it's a bit of a consultancy. Uh, And Dr. Joe, you know, this is something we tried to do years ago, and I think we were a little ahead of our time. And unfortunately, with the untimely uh, and just unfortunate death of George Floyd, investment came quickly to the organization, like many other organizations that are doing social justice work and so we were able to really fully invest in this in this practice, and we're, we've trained over 500 uh, people here in the Columbus area. We started this work, um, you know, to actually implement the, the work plan uh, in May of last year. 500 people have already been trained, over 60 companies, and more. Uh, you know, planning for many more next year, and then. Um, our next kind of book of business, if you will, is that core business of housing, and I know we're probably going to talk a little bit more about that because this is the time of year when we, we talk about those who are not who are unsheltered. But we uh, have housing for uh, women with disabilities who live uh, in our downtown building. Uh, we call that the Center for Women. Ninety-one women live there in their own apartments, and uh, they have wraparound services and then coordination of services to assist them uh, with their uh, living independent independently. And some will uh, move on and and live much more independently than they are currently at the YW, but then some will, will be with us, you know, for the rest of their their time. And um, it's a great program. We've had this program for, you know, more than 25 years. And then our family center, which is our center for homeless families includes child care and after school care along with um you know all of the programs uh, that and and aids that families need uh, when they are looking for housing and find themselves in that unfortunate situation uh, with no housing, so that you know food shelter clothing if they needed um, personal care items and then assistance finding housing which unfortunately is, is challenging in this community right now. And then our last area um, is, is after-school care programs in the Westerville, Kahana, and United Schools Network districts. And we are the partner agency that provides what we used to call latchkey They don't call it that anymore. Uh, but provide educational enrichment programs for kiddos uh, in some instances before and after school and in some of the in one of the districts I think is just uh after school. And we've been doing that for thirty six years. Uh USN is a new um district for us. We're very excited to partner with the USN schools and um provide those services in community. So that's all.
3: Well that's a lot, Christy. And so <laughs> a number of questions about all of the work that the YWCA is doing. And again, in in the central Ohio area, we have a very robust philanthropic community. So take what Christy just talked about that and multiply it by the number of agencies who are providing services. Christy, let me go back to when I first heard about the work of YWCA Columbus years ago, in fact, YWCA in general. And I wondered, well, gee, the empowerment of women and the elimination of racism both very worthwhile, but how are they related? I think the term that we use now is intersectionality. Can Mm -hmm. you explain Mm -hmm. how those two concepts are related to each other?
0: Sure. Um, You know, when we talk about empowering women, I mean, certainly it is, you know, a a woman having the uh, ability to choose uh, her, her life and her life circumstances and be able to work anywhere, live anywhere. Um, you know, and 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 I always say love who uh, she wants to live, love, and, and all of that. But again, women of color, we have you know the intersection kind of point of being a woman of color and all of it, what that brings. You know, along with being a woman, and so you know it's like we used to say double minority. You know, we um we 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 have that, and so the challenges that we face uh, are not just because of our gender, but the challenges we face also are because of our color. And so there's an intersection. Uh, there's a point of intersection. And so we, we view that as a point in which you have to work on both things. You have to work on you know, making advances for women, but you also can't just make advances for women without making advances for people of color and ending racism. Uh, because the first thing, you know, when for us, you know, they see our, our color, our race, and then our gender. And so those areas in which we're being held back in both, uh, both need to be worked on for women, all women, to truly be empowered.
3: And so that's a very ambitious goal, the elimination of racism. Will that really happen in our society? Oh, gosh.
0: <laughs> um, you know, I don't think we can... So I don't know. I, let me say this. I don't know that we can totally, you know, eliminate it because, you know, it it we know now more than ever in the last, what, four or five years, we have seen it emerge in so many different places and spaces, including politics and, you know, areas of, of our country and our nation. And so, you know, I don't know if we can ever truly eliminate it, but what we can do is we can keep. We can't get discouraged, and we have to keep working, and we have to use different resources and tools to try and, um, and stamp it out where we can.
3: Good. An aspirational goal. We have a few okay. minutes until break, so let's start a discussion about the YWCA Family Center, which is a shelter for homeless families, to use the term mm-hmm. that our listeners are most familiar with. Why are there homeless families
0: Oh gosh, um, you know there are homeless families, really for a number of reasons. I'll start with you know the first one that probably comes to to folks' mind is uh, minds is that individuals uh, in, in in many communities, not just this community, homelessness. Uh, unfortunately, in the wealthiest country in you know the world, um, we find people homeless in many cities across the United States, probably all cities, I guess. And I would say here, you know, we have a number of families who, uh, or individuals who make, uh, you know, don't make a living wage. And when we talk about a living wage, I and mean, people are throwing out the $15 an hour number, you know, I don't, I don't know that that is truly a, how we calculate living wage any longer because in Columbus you need, you also probably need, Transportation. We don't have a robust public transportation system, so you need car and home to to be able to you know live and work. But then, of course, you need resources for food and utilities and, and just you know living. And um, and so really, living wage, you know, would be in the upwards of probably twenty one dollars if we truly calculated it. But but let me just say that our co- community, our our uh, economy. We have a number of service jobs and logistical jobs um, and while those are great jobs in some instances, not all jobs pay a wage that people can afford to live in Columbus, uh, affordability is, in housing has outpaced um, average wages and uh, the cost of rent has gone up from, oh, probably uh, three years ago we were talking 845 you know, 900 for a two-bedroom apartment and now it's well over uh, $1,100 uh, for a two-bedroom uh, apartment. Then the next thing, you you know, we would say, so, so people are priced out of the market and they're having difficulty maintaining. So if you're having difficulty maintaining, you may fall behind. If you fall behind and you get evicted, now you have an eviction on your record. We have some of the most aggressive eviction uh, laws in Franklin County, and then what happens is um, somebody has an eviction on their record and landlords won't rent to you. Um, and then, you know, I'd say the next thing is, you know, people fleeing a situation, a circumstance in which they can no longer uh, live. And so it might be domestic violence. It might be some other kind of partner, uh, you know, relationship or living with family and they just choose to go and come into shelter and look for housing and leave that situation. And then, lastly, I would say there are people who move to Columbus because there is work here, and uh, they come here with very little, um, and they miss, they need housing, and so they come into the shelter system because we are a system that is what we call an open system, meaning that no families go without shelter. We take all families in.
3: Christy, we want to delve more into why there are homeless families in this holiday season. We're going to take a quick break and come back on the window. Okay. that in this holiday season, there are others who are, quote, not as fortunate, quote, as we are. But we're taking a deep dive into what that really means in our conversation with Christy Angel, President and CEO of the YWCA Columbus. So, Christy, let's talk about the YWCA Family Center, which you just explained is a shelter for homeless families. What happens when a family comes to the YWCA Family Center? Is that permanent housing?
0: It's not permanent housing, although um, you know we we um, we always have we've always had you know uh, an average length of stay. Um, our HUD guidelines, because we're a HUD funded agency, certainly um, would like us to have families you know move on and, and be housed by you know within thirty days. I will tell you that in this community, because finding affordable housing um, or suitable housing for Um, our families um, has been difficult our average stay has gone way up we're in the 70 and 80 day range which is much too long for someone to be in shelter especially during a pandemic but I'll explain a little bit first about let me look if I can just a little bit about who who is homeless because I think that this is something that sometimes is lost on people. It's hard for people to think about homeless families, especially because in this community, you don't you don't see it because we,
3: we, we're
0: this open system. But um, average uh, person in shelter is usually a single mom with, uh, at, you know, at least one child, but average is usually two children. Uh, we are seeing larger size families um, homeless because it's hard to find housing when you have, four, five, six, seven, eight children, uh, you have. You really need to rent a house. And because, again, finding those locations um, are like needles in a haystack. Our staff does a great job, but they just are having trouble working with landlords and identifying suitable housing for larger families and then just housing in general. Then the second thing is, uh, Dr. Joe, I will tell you that we are at a point in this community where in our shelter and in the, there are two family shelters now because you as you know we to be we were the only family shelter and we could handle all of the needs but in 2015 because the trend lines we thought were just connected to um, you know the economic downturn of 2008 and nine didn't go away the homeless family people didn't rebound and so what we found was, we had to open a second shelter. And so there are two shelters and usually on any given night, they're both full. And so that means we have about a hundred and, you know, 40, 50 families every night that are going without shelter. The average family, well, I would say disproportionately, those are black families, not black and brown, black families. We are at a point where about 80% of those living in shelter on any given night are black. And so that is a symptom of something else going on in our community. I can't tell you exactly what, well, I, I have some thoughts about what, what some of that is, but it is a symptom of something going on in our community. But, you know, I also share with you that so when families come into shelter, they go through an intake process, we assess where they've you know, where they've lived most recently, we talk to them about any options they have uh, to live with, perhaps other family members or what have you. And we always do that. We do that at, you know, at several points in the intake process because staying in shelter as, as well as we do with our services, it's still traumatic. You're in, you know, one room. Think of a, a small room that's smaller than a hotel room, um, you know, really just the size of, you know, to have some bunk beds or twin beds. Um, You know, and maybe sometimes there's two sets of bunk beds, shared bathrooms um, and, you know, communal kitchen uh, in in terms of meals being prepared and then served, Um, family styles, what we used to do. We are not doing that right now because of the pandemic. And so meals are actually prepared and then served to each room because we, meet, we can't have the families gather close together during a pandemic, which is the way we used to serve meals. And so um, it looks like, you know, our family shelter is nice and bright, and it's 15, 15 years old. Um, it looks like a bit a large dorm with, you know, uh, we call them neighborhoods or, you know, areas, wings off of, you know, kind of a, a central hub, which is where our multi-purpose room is and all of our service, uh, delivery uh, exists, and then child care center attached. So anyone coming into shelter who needs child care for a, a child zero to five years of age um, can access that child care. Uh, we have, you know, funds available for that. that's publicly funded child care. We get them signed up. We start working, you know, within that week uh, on trying to arrange for housing and talk with the family about you know, any uh, connections to other services they may need. Uh, sometimes families, you know, need to get records for, to get kiddos in school. They need to, you know, get access to uh, prescriptions. I mean, all these kinds of things. Because a family, when they are homeless, they have basically left all of their, as all their belongings that they can't carry with them, they have left them behind. So some things are left behind when you help them gather up especially necessary documents and papers and things like that to continue, um, you know, looking for housing because we, we call it housing first model. And then to make sure kiddos can go to school. All children go to their home school. So we also identify what district and school they, the kiddos have been going in. We work with the Columbus City Schools and other all districts to make sure that they have transportation so the kiddos stay in their home school uh, while they're with us. And then um, any kiddos that are, you know, school age, when they come back from school, home from school each night, they have an opportunity to go through, um, uh, come into our after-school care uh, program. And then meals are served between uh, first meal services at 6 p.m. every night uh, and then 7 p.m. So we get meals served between 6 and 8, cleanups. Um and you know, some of the families help us with some of the cleanup and then lights out at ten PM. And you know, again I tell everyone, while it's great that we have this shelter and we do not have to worry about families, you know, staying outside. It's still rigid and routine because that's just that's the way, you know, because kind of we have to kind of provision the service when you have fifty families living under your roof. Um and it is not meant to be a long-term solution, and so in this community, what we are seeing is increased homelessness at a time when we have decreased uh, decreased housing available to them. And I have said, and I am, a, you know, a, an advocate for this. I talk about it every single day with elected leaders and government officials. Because ultimately, you know, to provide this service, we, we at the YWCA and, and our partners at the YMCA and the Choices, which is the domestic violence shelter, and in the single adult system like Faith Mission um, and others, we are doing our part. We provide safe and decent shelter and housing for families and individuals who, who are unsheltered or have, you know, have these circumstances, you know, have some unfortunate circumstances. But we need our our elected leaders to also do their part. And and it means leadership, uh, we have to have more housing and we have to have it quickly and we have to do rehab housing, we have to build housing, you know, all of those things. And we have to have housing that is, you know, for the builder to build it, it has to be deeply subsidized and and they have to be able to quickly, you know, build it or or, um, uh, revamp, you know, existing housing. So there's some rules and regulations that have to be, Change so that the builders can do, and they want to respond, and yet they get their hands get tied around permitting and other things, and then resources. You know, it costs a lot of money, you know, to maintain this this type of shelter over time, and in our system. We rely heavily on philanthropy, but philanthropy alone, we, we use philanthropy and we use our own money and we have some government funds, but we actually, you know, have a request in to have more funding because the cost of providing shelter is labor intensive and, um, and we just need more families are staying longer. We, we have that, that makes your costs go up. So, you know, that's the challenge that we're under Dr. Joe and, um, most people will probably say, here she goes again, but I will be, say, I will be saying this until I can say it no longer, because it is, it is necessary. We've got to do better in this community by all families and all individuals who are struggling to maintain their their housing.
3: Christy, this is mind-boggling. You, you know I go back a long way with the why. And mm-hmm. to hear that the issues um, persist and have become even more acute because of the environment we're in is um is saddening to say the least. Mm-hmm. I would hope mm-hmm. that everyone listening and I'm I'm getting text messages from so many people. Someone in North Carolina asking or saying that in their community that they're running out of space in domestic violence centers. Someone from Los Angeles asking if there are similar programs in Los Angeles, if the YWCA by the way has similar programs around the country. Someone from Houston asking about Whether there are programs to help break the cycle for women to help them be more self sufficient. But before we run out of time with our conversation with you today, Christy, hopefully everyone feels compelled to help somehow. What is it, speaking specifically of the YWCA Columbus, what can just the man, woman on the street do to help now during the holiday season and year round?
0: Uh, Well, there are so many ways. First of all, I can say anyone can go. Everything that I'm going to mention quickly is on our website ywcacolumbus.org. That's ywcacolumbus.org. O-r-g. And there are, you know, ways big and small that someone can give. The first thing is, you know, organizations, churches, even neighbors can host a a drive, a coat drive. Um, We have to take new um, coats. We can't take gently used. Uh, clothing items but um you know they can purchase coats to donate to the homeless shelter i always say when i go into a target or someplace and i see coats and sale, will just buy buy them in, in all different sizes buy you know what i can afford and you know get them over to our, our family shelter at 900 harvey court 43219 it's a zip code the second thing that someone can do this year is to uh, purchase a gift from our, our our get our wish list we have um, our women from the downtown building along with our homeless families and the children, they have all, uh, the children have written letters to Santa and they all have their top three gifts that they'd like. And then the women in our downtown building also uh, do a wish list of things that they'd like. And we have that listed. We have it. I don't know if we don't have it listed on the, um, uh, I don't think we have it listed on the website, but we have, if you want to sign up to purchase a gift, and then if you sign up and we send you, we match you. Uh, with uh, a child or a, wim- a woman or a family. And then we have an Amazon wish list, which is also available on our website, and you can purchase an item from our Amazon wish list. It's making it very easy. You just go to our Amazon wish list, which is found on our website, and buy one of our items that we need. Oftentimes you can imagine we need formula and diapers and um, soaps and things like that. And then you can don- donate to our gift card fund. Uh, We um, have a gift card fund where someone can give five, ten, whatever denomination they would like, and it goes into a large uh, fund. And then we buy gift cards and do electronic gift cards if if that's what a family wants or, you know, gift cards, and we give them to the family so they can purchase some items during this holiday season uh, for their their family. So lots of ways to give. All can be found on our website. under, um, you know, kind of, it's right on the, the front page. You can't miss it uh, when it just says, you know, give. And then uh, our team will, will work with uh, folks to to manage their, uh, you know, manage their gifts and, and so forth.
3: Christy, obviously this is a conversation that is worthy of more than the 30 minutes that you so graciously devoted to us today it's gut-wrenching work that you're doing and so we encourage our listeners around the country in this holiday season to not just think about those who are less fortunate but to really take some action to help with the important work that's being done we have another in-studio guest that we want to bring on before the break But remember the website that Christy directed you to, ywcacolumbus.org. There are 200 plus YWCA's around the country. And also somewhere near you is an organization that really, really grabs at your heartstrings that you want to help this season. Christy, thank you so much for joining us on The Window.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me and everyone have a blessed holiday season.
3: You as well.
2: Well, I don't know even where to begin that was a huge topic to try to um, explain in 30 minutes. Um, and I, I am just very appreciative that we were able to um, hear from the head of the YWCA here today. And we have another a giant in the community Um, represented here today with a representative from the volunteers of america all we can do in the next few minutes before the break is introduce her and ask her to um, tell us about the mission of her organization. So Valerie Hall How, Hawes, I'm saying it right, um, a beautiful young woman with a wonderful heart, very, very generous, is here today representing the Volunteers of America. She's a TEDx speaker. She's an uh, accomplished prof- professional. And if you could just tell us the mission of the VOA, we can pause and come back.
1: Yes. um, First of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. The mission of Volunteers of America Ohio and Indiana, which is the affiliate that um, services um, the communities here in Ohio and Indiana, Uh, the mission of the uh, agency is to transform lives and help people reach their fullest potential by offering hope and restoring dignity.
2: That's another big one. We're going to take a quick break and come back and try to 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 explore this giant organization on the window. We are back on the window and we are here with Sister Valerie Hawes from Volunteers of America, and Sister Valerie, tell us about some of your programs um, addressing the needs of the community uh, in Central Ohio.
1: So, um, Volunteers of America, Ohio and Indiana um, has three main impact areas in which they um, target. One is with veterans and veteran services. Um, We have behavioral health, as well as uh, reentry services. So um, we try to help anyone who is in need, if they're in need of housing, if they have, um, if they're a veteran and maybe they need assistance with behavioral health services as well, or employment, and the same with uh, reentry services. So uh, we have um, residential um, services across the two states. Um, we service currently about 23,000 people um, at 65 um, different locations um, in 16 different communities. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> and what's your role with all of that? So I am the engaged learning manager which is a new role to the organization. They developed the org- the uh, role, uh, early part of the year, I came on board uh, in February of this year, and as the engaged learning manager, I'm responsible for uh, encouraging engagement around learning and development. So um, while training is, has always been a priority, um, sometimes that gets set aside when you have such a great need in the community, and so people are working, 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 and they're not necessarily uh, filling up their cup after they're pouring it out out the 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 insight and the care and the love to everyone else and we have to make sure that they are being replenished in that process
2: now you mentioned veterans mm-hmm. tell us what the biggest
1: need is for veterans uh, while housing is a big issue um, sometimes behavioral health needs come into um, play um, because of their experiences and it's so unfortunate because uh, these individuals have given themselves their lives um, to to provide service to our country and uh, we have to provide something for them when when they return so uh, we do have a uh, Uh, sometimes there's addiction issues um, PTSD I bet PTSD is a big one for Mm -hmm. sure and how
2: does that if someone comes home from uh, serving the country Mm -hmm. and they have a need how do you connect with them if they're um, out on the street or I mean is there a, a, a recruitment or how does someone connect a veteran
1: in need to VOA well, I think that there is a lot of um, um, word of mouth that happens, but mainly if someone is in need of services and they contact any one of our offices and tell them what their need is, we can direct them to the appropriate person. So, But I, I think that um, there's so many wraparound um, services that are provided to individuals, that, specifically veterans, that um i think that sometimes they they don't realize the work that we do in the community um, because we don't want to see them homeless and without the mental health services that they probably need to get adjusted back Mm -hmm. to society Um, and some have lived on the streets for years and so now having to restore someone's dignity um, as well as just providing them the basic needs Um, that that can sometimes be daunting Um, we take it for granted but there are a lot of people that are just without and unfortunately throughout this pandemic it's made things a lot worse Um, we provide um, housing for folks on a temporary basis but because of the pandemic no one wants to uh, put folks out so people are staying longer than they normally would have in the past. Where are you finding the homes for these people? We, do, we have um, facilities, residential facilities okay. throughout. The and the states. families come too? Sometimes it's families. We assist, um, for instance, um, mothers that are battling with addiction. So oftentimes uh, there are families, mothers with multiple children um, come in together and need those services. So we'll provide housing and uh, assist with um, at least directing them to resources to find jobs and of course providing them mental health services they may need. Now
2: is there a seasonal increase in this need? Like right now it's the holiday season, families out on the street and uh, looking for uh,
1: someplace to get through the winter? Is there a seasonal factor here? I'm sure that there is. I don't have any exact numbers, but I'm almost positive that in the winter months, especially uh, in a region like where we live, um, it it definitely becomes a bigger issue um, during the winter months, which is unfortunate, which is why sometimes folks um, often commit crimes too, so that they can Uh, have a place to stay throughout the winter. And that was my next question,
2: the connection between poverty Mm -hmm. and homelessness Mm -hmm. and crime. Mm -hmm. What is that connection? Mm -hmm.
1: Unfortunately, one of the common denominators, uh, if you were to look at uh, the numbers on paper in black and white, unfortunately. Uh, People of color, black folks in particular, that's one common denominator, unfortunately. The poverty issue, um, also, it's a factor that increases crime in communities. Um, It increases homelessness in those same communities. And unfortunately, we are the ones that uh, pay the biggest price for it because it happens in our communities every day. Well, I just checked
2: a statistic from the census Mm -hmm. and... um, Poverty and homelessness mm. was um, higher mm. in communities of color than in other communities. Absolutely, is that true in in Columbus, Central Ohio, and the, and the other communities you I, serve?
1: I think it is true across this country in every community. Mm. Absolutely.
2: And so, someone that has no home, no income, mm. ends up in in the system. Mm. What can be done about that at this point?
1: You know, I, I, poverty, I believe, is the um, is the gateway to a lot of these issues. Um, unfortunately, the prison system consists of, um, there are millions of people in the prison system right now, and 75% of those that are incarcerated right now are African American. Um, also, uh, 80% of males in prisons don't have a high school diploma. So education is in there too? Education is a factor, um, and the lack thereof. Um, poverty also uh, is a factor for why folks don't have the education, or the, the, there's no equity in the education. Uh, system and in our communities. So all of those things pay a, a part in it, which will eventually lead you to a place where um, there's only certain wages you're gonna be able to earn if you're gonna be able to get the job, and then if you don't get the job, then what do you have left to do? Um, and sometimes I think that uh, we, many of us may feel like, oh, that's a cop-out, but for others who, who feel hopeless or don't have the same um vantage point that we have or haven't had the same advantages in life um they may not realize how big the world is and what options really are out there for them so if you don't have someone showing you and telling you and and providing you that access then you resort to what you know and sometimes that is crime
2: and some of the individuals behind bars didn't have access to the proper legal representation which is also stemmed to poverty that's right and because I just saw this week a man was released from or this month released from prison after 40-some years for a crime that everybody knew he didn't commit Mm -hmm. and he had just I guess kind of resigned to himself that I'll never get out of Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. so that um, that's depressing that is not where we as civilization
1: should be right now we should not be we should not be here and it's unfortunate because we you know we have money we have resources uh, we're supposed to be the land of the free and and uh you know we're supposed to be the most powerful country in the world enlightened but we don't have access for our own, well, the access is there, I shouldn't say that, but we should not have the numbers uh, of homelessness that we have. And I'm very concerned with the fact that with um, the housing shortage right now, and um, the cost of even rent is skyrocketing. Um, I've heard people talk about, you know, not being able to find a home. I've heard realtors talking about um, how competitive it is to, once you have selected a home, to put a bid in and people are just out bidding one another because everyone's fighting for a place to live. Well, if that's happening and then people are raising rent, now two bedroom homes uh, are over a $1,000. Oh, way over a $1,000. Uh, oftentimes around $1,500. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so if you're already struggling Financially, how do you make sense how do you how is it even possible for you to find affordable housing? Uh, I read somewhere where it said um, affordable housing right now um, is considered to be a home of around two hundred and fifty thousand dollars now how is that affordable housing for someone hmm. who barely has a job they're either employed or underemployed and um and trying to make do and have multiple children, and God forbid you're a single parent, whether that's a single mother or father, how do you do do that? So, we have to work together as a community.
2: Well, it seems like everything's stuck to everything else. (laughs) Like, if you don't have an education, you can't get a decent job. Mm-hmm. If you can't get a decent job, mm-hmm. then you can't have decent housing mm-hmm. or health care. Your mm-hmm. children suffer. Mm-hmm. And what role is the government supposed to play in all this? I thought Section 8 was uh, created to support housing. And all these social programs, are they un- uh, funded less than they have in the past? What happened?
1: Well, I know for a fact that, so I I mentioned that I'm new to Volunteers of America, Ohio and Indiana. I came from another giant, which was uh, Goodwill Columbus. And um, so last year, I know that we lost funding. Um, It was government funding just went away for certain programs Um, that made it very difficult. For agencies to figure out how were they going to keep their people employed, and some folks did lose jobs even before the pandemic. So with a pandemic coupled in with that, that's just it's just incredible. You know, when we had millions upon millions—I mean, the numbers of people that were unemployed last year—some um, of those folks weren't paying their rent, and as uh, Miss Angel. Um, mentioned earlier if they're not paying their rent and they were getting um, uh, the little the pass on not having to be evicted eventually they are going to be evicted mm-hmm. and and they still will owe the money that was mm-hmm. building up over that time how can they come out of that hole
2: and not only that when you're struggling externally mm-hmm. outside your your home mm-hmm you can better believe that it's worse on the inside. Mm. And that's the mental health, the yes. emotional health, the yes. domestic violence. Yes. It's all a big, big tragedy yes. that we as a community cannot ignore. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in the few minutes that we have left in the program, mm-hmm. um, tell us how the community can help with this, this uh, ball of fire that we
1: deal with. Well, we're called Volunteers of America for a reason. We're always looking for assistance. We're always looking for volunteers to come and assist with our programs. Um, you know, you can reach out to our website uh, at voaohin.org. That's for Volunteers of America, Ohio, and Indiana. Um, and definitely look under the tab that says Get Involved. Um, but there are so many agencies that are doing great things. I say get involved somewhere, because one agency can't do all the work that is needed Mm -hmm. for our communities, Mm -hmm. so we have to work together. Get involved somewhere, every little bit helps, and um, every little bit makes a difference in helping to restore someone else's dignity.
2: And just to kind of wrap this all up, I assume that there are some discrepancies based upon
1: race Mm. and gender. Absolutely. Can you speak to that before we? Well, you know, as we mentioned before, you know, African-Americans most specifically are hit hardest when it comes to all of these areas, whether that's um, even being the veterans. um, I see more African-Americans in our getting assistance through our programming Uh, with our addiction services, um, same with um, reentry services, of course, because we are predominantly the ones that are incarcerated. So you're going to see more of them. And 80% of, of prisoners um, that are currently incarcerated will eventually come out. So if we know that they will eventually come out, whether they stay out, that's another thing. But they will come out. When they come out, they need to have a place to live, they need to have a place to go to work, and they need to be able to feed their families. And they should be treated with dignity because they paid their price. So I think that uh, as an individual community member, you have to know that um, you play a part in helping push this person along the process. Because if we don't all contribute to the problem, we'll be a part of the problem in the end.
2: And this is a national organization, yes, I assume. absolutely. And um, government funding goes to your organization, sure, but yes. individuals can contribute absolutely. as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we will certainly keep that in mind mm-hmm. during this holiday season. We've been through some tough times the last yeah. two years. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that um, have not experienced Uh, any of the issues, the conditions that Sister Christy or Sister Valerie have talked about today, consider that a blessing. Mm. Consider that a huge blessing because this world has some very uh, severe inequities Mm. in the blessings that some receive. And so uh, here on the window, we don't sugarcoat anything. (laughs) We put it out there as we see it mm-hmm. and be as, and we try to be as transparent as, as possible and we go to the experts to get the information. So I just want to thank you for thank coming. You. Thank you for taking the time out. Thank you for your organization. Uh, thank you to Sister Christy at the YWCA and hopefully uh, in 2022 We'll see some positive changes Mm -hmm. if we all keep optimistic. And keep praying. And keep praying Mm -hmm. and doing what we can to support those in need. That's right. Sister Joanne, are you still there?
3: I am still here.
2: Do you have any closing comments for us?
3: No, just everyone again. This is the giving season, and so please give from your heart to those who are not as fortunate as we like to say.
2: Well, thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. Um, I think that um, we have much to be grateful for. Sister Joanna and I have been been at this this work now for almost a year. And there's still a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Still a lot of things to, to show that are out that window. And we just thank our listeners. And we will talk to you next week on The Window. Have a great day.